0: 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in christ and father we humbly ask for the grace and the help of your holy spirit now as we continue in our worship by opening the inspired and authoritative truth of the word of god in front of you we ask this morning lord that you would speak to us by your spirit's ministry through what you've spoken already in the word of god bless the scripture we pray and we ask in jesus name and everyone said amen amen you may be seated You know, I want to ask you this morning as an encouragement, what really would you consider to be the primary purpose of your life right now? What are you honestly, in an intentional way, seeking to achieve? You know, I want to say this morning, a life without any sense of real purpose typically becomes meaningless. And more than being meaningless, a lot of times a life without purpose ends up being somewhat wasted. And one of the blessings, I believe, as well as the benefits of being a Christian, a Christ follower, is it gives your life purpose. It gives you a sense of purpose beyond just being saved and spared from the punishment of sin that we all deserve. Beyond the benefit of being delivered from the power of sin, from controlling our lives and ruling over us. Beyond the blessing of knowing one day we're going to enter into heaven's glory when our life here on earth is over. There are other benefits and blessings to being a Christian, to being saved. And one of those is that we're given a purpose for our existence while we live out the rest of our life here on this earth. And that primary purpose is that we now serve Jesus Christ. We have a reason to get out of bed every morning. We have a purpose for why we live our lives. It's not to live for ourselves or to find meaning in our life, but it's to live For Christ and we now have a purpose to the very reason why we live and one of the primary purposes for Christ followers is being used to share Christ with other people in the same way someone did with us and in the way that we now know Jesus personally and we had our own encounter with him we now have the opportunity to seek to share that with other people in the hopes that they might experience Jesus Christ as well. And that is what Paul seems to be addressing in this particular text in the remainder of chapter 2 here, how he and his ministry team did this. They sought sought to share Christ and be a fragrant aroma to disperse knowledge of Jesus all around. Now, remember the backdrop. Paul has been giving in this section some explanation as to why he had delayed from going back to visit at the church in Corinth. And it seems he's now continuing with that as he says, look with me in verse 12 as we pick up, he says, furthermore, verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me, he says, by the Lord. So Paul here indicates, notice, that he perceived very clearly that a divine opportunity and I emphasize the word divine, a divine opportunity was presented to him by the Lord, he says, to share the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, look at it, he says, when we came to the area of Troas. Now, Troas was a chief port that was situated right between Asia Minor, where Paul currently was, and Macedonia, where Paul was going to. So to get from where Paul was to Macedonia, where he was heading to, Troas was the chief port to stop off at, and it was a strategic community in that region. And when Paul went to the area of Troas, as he was passing through in his missionary travels, his heart apparently was very burdened to share the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ and how people could be saved by the Lord Jesus. He says, verse 12 there, that when we came to Troas, he says, we came to purposeful preach Christ's gospel again whenever we see the word preach in the scripture important to understand that word simply means to to herald an announcement uh, to proclaim or to announce news it was what someone would do in an ancient day when a king would send them out among the citizens or to another territory and they would herald or publicly announce a message from the throne that's what the word is, proclaimed that's used here when we see the word preach in the scripture. It's not necessarily what's happening right now here from the pulpit or what Billy Graham would do in large stadiums. That is an aspect of preaching. To preach simply means to proclaim, to proclaim news. And particularly, Paul says, we wanted to proclaim or to announce the good news, that's what the word gospel means, the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, take notice of that. Paul was not inclined... When he went to the area of Troas, he was not inclined to spend his time proclaiming, discussing, debating all of the bad news of everything that was going on in the society that day in the Roman Empire. And there were a lot of bad problems in the Roman Empire. There were constant issues. There were, I mean, it was a very tyrannical empire. They ruled with an iron fist over the people that were under their control. And there were a lot of problems and issues in the society under the Roman Empire. But Paul, when he went out and he moved around, he realized, look, those issues are always going to be there. They've always been there. They're never going to stop being there. They'll just periodically rotate from this issue to that issue, to this issue, to that issue. And Paul says... We didn't go to Troas looking to proclaim and spend time talking about all the bad news of everything that was going on in society. In fact, he says, we didn't even want to proclaim the great news about a church or that people should attend a church. What did Paul want to proclaim? He said, we came and we wanted to proclaim, he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanted to announce to people the good news about Jesus who he is, what he has done for us, what he now offers to us, that though we are sinful, broken people, that there is good news, that though we are all guilty in our own sinfulness before our creator, who one day we are going to face to give account for our life, and though we all deserve punishment for our sin against our creator and our God, and we're accountable for that, that God, in his love for us, made a way for us to be spared from eternal punishment. God made a way for us through his own Son in sending his Son Jesus into this earth to do the greatest rescue mission that's ever happened. That Jesus left the comfort of heaven, entered into this world, took a body of flesh. He took a second nature upon himself, a human nature, while keeping his divine nature as God, and was fully God and fully man, and able to be a perfect mediator between holy God and weak and broken, sinful humanity being both. And in such a way where he lived as a man, the perfect sinless life that you and I do not live and cannot live. And then sacrificially stepped into our place and took all of the punishment that we deserve as humanity for our sinfulness against God. And Jesus took the bullet for us. He was crucified for us. He died in our place, taking our death sentence so that we could be spared And Jesus rose again victoriously so that now as a living, risen Savior, he can freely offer to all of us as sinful, broken people the opportunity to be forgiven of all of our sin, to have our guilt taken away, to have assurance that we can enter into heaven after we die if we simply receive those things as a free gift from him. This wonderful news, Paul says, that we can tell broken people in a broken world where things are hard and miserable, look, There's someone who loves you and who will forgive you for all the wrong things you've done. And you can have peace within yourself that when you die, there's something better beyond this world. And you can have a guarantee of that. And it's all for free. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You don't have to earn it. Jesus is offering it to you and making it available. If you humbly receive it from him, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved and can have a brand new start. We can be a brand new creation, the Bible says. And this is what Paul and his team intentionally, he says, we're looking to tell people about. This is what we wanted to talk to people about. When we talk to people in Troas, we are intentional to not talk about the bad news and to purposely try and talk about the good news. And I don't know, I'll tell you, that's a great and a convicting reminder that we really should honestly be trying to do the same. Doesn't the Bible tell us that Jesus commissioned all of us as his followers to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature? That is what we are commanded to do as Christians. But yet as a fellow Christian, I'll be the first to admit it is so easy to be distracted from or to dismiss or to forget the fact that we are supposed to act upon that. And I think we need to ask the Lord to really help us to have a heart and a desire and a concern for people who have lost souls like we once did and to have the courage to even act upon that from time to time to try and take a conversation from talking about this or that or COVID or vaccines or mandates or this or that or this or and all these other things that are, they're issues. There's always been issues. And instead to realize, look, there is a more central issue There's a more important thing at times to talk about and to turn conversation toward, which is spiritual things and eternal things and that we would have the courage and the heart for and the willingness, Lord, help us to be more intentional, to look for occasions, to initiate sharing with people in this way. And Paul, as he went there wanting to preach the gospel, he says in Troas, look at verse 12, God honored that desire, that intention. We went there to preach the gospel, and he says, verse 12, and a door was opened to me, he says, by the Lord. So Paul recognized the Lord gave him an obvious open door to be able to share about Jesus Christ and his salvation with people. That term open door there, just think what that picture in your mind. You know, when a door is open, the idea is there's access to enter in, right? That's what an open door indicates. There's access. Or if a door is open, there's sort of an invitation to come in. So when the Bible speaks of an open door, it's speaking of opportunity. That's the idea. Open door, Opportunity, not just opportunity, divinely sanctioned opportunity, a God ordained opportunity, where God intervenes and opens up a door, opens an opportunity. An opportunity is a circumstance that makes it possible to be able to do something. And Paul says, The Lord opened the door to share the gospel of salvation with Jesus Christ, with other people. In other words, the indication here is Paul saying people's hearts were open to listen. Certainly that's what he's implying. The Lord opened a door. How could I tell? Their hearts were open. They were willing to listen. There was an openness in their attitude to hear what I wanted to say, or maybe people were even asking, hey, tell us about what's different about you, or why do you and your team live this way while you're here in Troas? And and, and Paul, I could tell their hearts were open. Or maybe it was a circumstance where he had occasion or occasions to speak about the Lord or, or I don't know, maybe some situation presented itself in such a way circumstantially where Paul clearly had a circumstantial opportunity, maybe where he was even invited in some way, we don't know, to share about Jesus Christ. However, it unfolded, the bottom line is this was the idea of the open door. It was opportunity openness in people's hearts and attitudes and open door as far as an opportunity circumstantially and paul says we realize that this was happening now look an open door is a very valuable thing when we are seeking to share spiritual truth with people we're going to see later in this book the bible says the god of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe and Satan is trying to do everything he can to drag people into the pit of hell and to keep people hard-hearted and deceived and misguided. And so it is crucial that when we want to obey the Lord and share the gospel, that we desire and that the Lord give to us open doors of opportunity. This is a very valuable thing. That there'd be an opportunity made available to us where we don't have to, if you could say, kick open the door. <laughs> where we're kicking open doors in the flesh and we're guilty of trespassing on people's consciences because the door is not open. And we've all done that before, maybe even even zeal as a Christian, right? Whether the door's open or not, I'm commanded to preach the gospel and you're gonna listen. Whether or not afterwards, you are gonna lock up the door of your heart for the next three years because you're gonna say that guy was a Christian and he was a jerk. He was rude, and he didn't even respect the fact that I didn't even want to hear what he – and look, that can happen, right? If we don't have an open door, sometimes we can try and kick open a door in the flesh, and, and that makes people lock up even more because they feel like they weren't loved or respected, and they were kind of trespassed against in their conscience, and that can backfire on us. So an open door is a very, very valuable thing, whether it's sharing the gospel or sharing God's word or really for any form of ministry work. We want the Lord to give us open doors of opportunity, and sometimes we got to graciously knock on the door a little bit. I'm not diminishing that. We knock on the door to to see if it is open, and sometimes we have to knock a little bit and kind of discern, hey, is the door open here? Is their heart open? Is the the opportunity going to present itself? Or am I going to see that this isn't an open door at this point? Now, question. Who opens those doors? Well, look, the text answers it. Paul says it was an open door. Where did it come from? From the Lord. From the Lord. He's, He's indicating very clearly it was a divine work of his power. He orchestrated the circumstance. He opened people's hearts He, by his spirit, prepared people with a willingness to listen, a receptiveness, maybe even an interest, and that's what the Lord can do. The Lord is the one who opens doors of opportunity. The Lord is the one who gives us invitation or circumstance or prepares people's hearts where you can just tell, man, the Lord has opened this person's heart. They're just, you can tell they're receptive. They're willing to listen. They want to dialogue. They want to conversate about this. Acts 14, Paul there in updating the church on his ministry work tells how God opened a door to the Gentiles. In other words, he says God opened the door to minister to this particular people group. There was an open door, and Paul was reporting on that. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul there described a great and effective door of ministry in Ephesus, in a particular area. Colossians 4, Paul asked the church there, listen, to pray that God would open a door For speaking the word of God. So Paul had learned in ministry as well as just as a Christian trying to share the gospel to pray for open doors. And then obviously as you can see here to then recognize when doors were open. So he said we need to pray for open doors and then we need to uniquely recognize and be discerning when the door is open. And look we should also do the exact same thing whether it's trying to share the gospel of salvation with people, whether it's just trying to share God's word and God's truth with people, or in any ministry endeavor, we should be asking the Lord, open the door, Lord, open the door, give access, give opportunity. Now, granted, this open door Paul's describing in verse 12 was in relation to sharing the gospel. But let's remember just generally as a principle as well, it is the Lord who can and does open doors for all things. Jesus said this in Revelation 3, 8. He said this, I have placed before you an open door and no one can shut it. Jesus clearly declared, look, I have set this open door before you and therefore it's not going to be shut. I've given you this open door and we should seek to ask the Lord if it be his will That by his power, he would orchestrate open doors in our lives. These are the kind of prayers we should pray. Lord, again, not just with sharing the gospel, but in everything. Lord, listen, if it's your will, that's key in every prayer. Lord, if it's your will, open a door for fill in the blank. Lord, if it's your will, by your power, by your sovereign hand, open the door, give opportunity For X or whatever it may be, and then see what unfolds circumstantially after that prayer. Not kick open the door and then afterwards say, Lord, would you bless me when I do this? (laughs) No, this is backwards here. Pray, Lord, open a door, and then see what God does in relation to that prayer. See if God opens that door after you pray about it, because God closes doors as well. And I want to say, too, look, be wise and discerning that opportunities that arise are an open door from the Lord. And not a trap door from the devil, and those do exist. See, every opportunity is not necessarily an open door from the Lord, and we have to be discerning. How did the door open? Uh, you know, what really is the end result of that opportunity or open door? You know, I, I have a wife, and I've raised three daughters into adulthood now, and I had to periodically remind: every sale is not a gift from God. There's this really great deal. I mean, how could you pass that up? I mean, five of these for... Well, just because it's a great deal doesn't mean it. You know, every great sale is an opportunity. How could you pass up an opportunity like that? You know, the devil's a master marketer. You don't think the devil opens doors and gives opportunities and makes some, you know, gorgeous girl come into some Christian guy's path? And, I mean, she may be Cruella DeVille. But, oh, but she's interested in me, man. Well, right, but she's she's also Corella Deville. Like I she's not a Christian, man. What are you doing? And we need to be very careful. Just opportunity alone is not enough to indicate it's an open door from the Lord. Be wise. Opportunities in life happen for all kinds of things. I remember when we had a gal that, when I was pastoring back in York, she was a missionary. We had sent her out. And at one point she called back and we were having a conversation. She was trying to figure out what the Lord was leading her to do in regards to something. And she said, I just don't know what the Lord's will is. She said, I have an opportunity to do this, which was to go serve with one church to do something. And, and she had three different opportunities to do things. In this case, it was three different opportunities to do things that were all ministry. And I said to her, look, here's what I can tell you, Rachel. I said, you have one body, which means you can only geographically be in one place, which means that although you have three opportunities, apparently they're not all from the Lord. Because you can only do one thing. So, and I said, just because you have an opportunity to do something doesn't mean that's the Lord. You need to pray. You need to discern, is that an open door from the Lord? This is a very important thing, whether in sharing the gospel, whether in doing other things. Paul really says, hey, this is an open door. He says, open to me by the Lord. And God can do that, but we want to make sure it's him doing it in a discerning way. Paul says, and when this happened, verse 13 I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, interesting what Paul alludes to here in verse 13, again, as he's kind of talking about his travels. Apparently, the Lord opened a door in Macedonia. Paul was sharing the gospel there for a time. And he sends, hey, this is my purpose. The Lord's opened a door. It's effective. People are receptive to the gospel. I'm sharing Christ. But apparently, verse 13 counterbalances by telling us that Paul did not feel he needed to remain in that opportunity forever. Just because the Lord opened a door, Paul didn't feel he perpetually needed to stay in that opportunity continuously. In fact, After a period of time, Paul sensed it was time to move on from that open door. That's what he says in verse 13. I departed from them there and went to Macedonia. Why was that? Paul says, verse 13, because I started to have no rest in my spirit. He says, look at verse 13, because I couldn't find Titus, my brother. Now, apparently what happened was this. Titus, remember, like Timothy, was one of Paul's assistants in ministry. Paul would send him out as an extension of his ministry in different areas to do things. And it appears from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul and Titus had planned to meet up in the area of Troas and then from that seaport to then travel together then over to Macedonia. So Paul goes to Troas. The Lord opens a door. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing some ministry while he's there. And he's looking around and waiting for Titus to show up. And Paul says, look, I, I, I was, he wasn't showing up. I was having trouble finding him. And Titus was supposed to also be bringing report to Paul of the church at Corinth at that time and how they had responded to Paul's correction of some of the sin and the things that were going on there. So Paul's waiting for Titus to show up to give him report and because Titus is going to travel with him. And again, because apparently, understand in that day, travel was not always easy. And a lot of times travel would get delayed As well as the fact that communication was not very easy. I mean, you couldn't just, Paul couldn't just text Titus, Where are you? (laughs) Travel was very hard. It got delayed often. You couldn't communicate well. Paul says, I looked around. I couldn't find him. And he says, My spirit was becoming concerned because he cared about Titus. He was concerned about the church at Corinth. And Paul says, I couldn't find him and I just had no rest in my spirit and I just felt uneasy. And then Paul says, verse 13, Ultimately, says, I didn't find him, but taking my leave of them there at Troas, I, just, I departed and I traveled on to Macedonia. So apparently at a certain point, Paul made the prayerful but yet hard decision to leave this place of opportunity and to just carry on with his original plan to go to Macedonia, hoping that Titus would eventually maybe show up in Macedonia and they could connect there since they never connected with each other there in Troas. And guess what? It worked out. Because later in this letter, 2 Corinthians 7, Paul's going to say, Indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also the consolation in which he was comforted when he told us of your earnest desire and your mourning and your zeal, so I rejoiced even more. So Paul says, when we came to Macedonia because I chose to leave and to carry on, Titus eventually showed up. And he brought a great report, and he says, I was so thankful to hear the things that he shared with me about you there in Corinth. So Paul trusted, as you can tell, not only for the Lord to open a door, and recognize that. But Paul also believed that as he traveled and journeyed on and moved from here and moved to there, that every time he went to a new location, that the Lord could open new doors whenever that was necessary. And I think that's a great encouragement for us because look, don't get over hung up. Maybe some open door happened, some opportunity happened, and maybe you've been working that opportunity, but it doesn't mean that you're supposed to be there in a life sentence in that. Maybe the Lord's going to open a new opportunity. Maybe he's going to, and and we want to be sensitive and aware of that just because an opportunity presents itself doesn't mean that we have to stay in that opportunity. Long-term Paul says, I left a good opportunity. I went to Macedonia because I felt that was the next thing to do. And the Lord can open other doors as I move on. Now, as we come to chapter two, verse 14, now this next verse closing out verse 13, Paul has just spoken about departing for Macedonia. And we now come to what is called in this letter, the great digression by many commentators, the great digression. Now a digression is a temporary departure from the main subject that you're speaking about. We say, we know that you do that every single week. That's what a digression is. It's a temporary departure from the main subject you're speaking about. Now, Paul, at this point, up to chapter 2, verse 13, has been speaking about the reasons he didn't show up in Corinth to visit yet. As he comes to chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through till chapter 7, verse 5, he now digresses and talks about a completely different subject. He talks about his spirit-led ministry and aspects of his ministry and how they operated listening to the Holy Spirit and you can tell it's a digression because chapter two, verse 13, Paul says, look at it, he says, I departed for Macedonia. Chapter seven, verse five in this letter, Paul picks up and says, and when we came to Macedonia, and then he starts talking about there. So for five chapters, he digresses from his subject, talks about a completely different subject, but look, it is a great digression, not just because it's long, because it was, it's really great stuff. The next five chapters is really great stuff. It's a digression in conversation, but it is really great things that Paul shares with us. And it just reminds me of this. Sometimes a digression in communication as it's being led by the spirit can actually be a really good thing. There may be times when you are speaking to someone or speaking about something And you may be led by the Holy Spirit because you sense that you need to talk about something else. Or maybe you're supposed to address this or address that. And it's somewhat of a digression in the conversation. Let me just say, if it's being led of the Holy Spirit, take the long route. Take the long route. Paul was being led of the Holy Spirit. He digressed for five chapters. But the Spirit of God was leading him to digress. And the stuff that he shared when he digressed was really good stuff. There's some really good truths that Paul ends up stating in this time. So let me encourage you. Not every digression is a bad thing. Sometimes it's something that's being led of the Lord that can bring good and valuable things being shared with someone. Again, even in sharing the gospel, be sensitive to that. Maybe the Lord's going to take you to talk about some other things as well. So Paul now appears to be led of a spirit. He wants to describe more about this aspect of preaching the gospel and sharing Christ. And that's what our remaining verses deal with here. He says, verse 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So Paul expresses here in verse 14, his open gratitude. He says, thanks be to God. He's expressing his gratitude toward God for always giving them victory in their battles that through his faithfulness and his power being displayed, Paul uses very specific language here in verse 14. If you look at the beginning of the verse there, he's using very purposeful language where he says, thanks be to God, he says, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. He's making allusion there to something that was a very familiar military practice in the ancient culture. The people would automatically know exactly in their mind the picture he was alluding to which was the roman triumph parade the roman triumph parade which was a celebration in grand display when a roman general had been victorious in battle and then came back home and the throne celebrated the great victory the success and the triumphant victory in the battlefield on behalf of the throne and the people that he was represented And so when this general would come back after a successful triumph in battle, the throne wanted to honor him and they had these Roman triumph parades, which were public displays to celebrate victory and let the knowledge of that be diffused far and wide. It was to draw attention to the triumph and how that leader had overcame. And there was great music and crowds and pomp and circumstance and dignitaries. And then of course, the central thing was that triumphant general himself being on display as the one who had triumphed on behalf of the throne and the people. And then all of the soldiers would follow behind in the army. And the idea was to make sure that every place in the surrounding region was aware of this great victory and how this Roman general had triumphed on behalf of the people and on behalf of the throne. And therefore, because he had triumphed, he deserved to be honored and to be celebrated. Well, Paul says this is a picture spiritually of what God has done for us through Jesus in the grand spiritual battle against sin and Satan. Jesus, our general, went on the battlefield and he triumphed for us. Colossians two fifteen says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, listen, triumphing over them by the cross. So Paul envisions, if you would, God the Father upon the throne. And he is proudly celebrating in this spiritual triumphant parade Jesus' triumphant victory and God's openly displaying the triumph of Christ. And he wants everybody in every place to see it. And like a grand triumph parade, he sees Jesus as the victorious general, as the central figure being honored and appreciated for his triumph. And then he sees the soldiers of the Lord, you and I, behind him, walking with him in this parade, and all of the celebration is to display the triumph of Jesus in the victory that he accomplished initially over sin and Satan. And more than that, the continuous triumphs again and again in the battles of our lives. And Paul says, I am so thankful, he says, verse 14, to God, who always, notice, not just once who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Paul here indicates despite what transpires in our life among us or to us or what comes against us and all the different battles of this life. And there are many, are there not? In all the different battles we go through in this life, for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus and the battles we endure, though the battles are tough and though it is difficult going That God always leads us in triumph in the end. That ultimately on the other side of it, we become more than conquerors through him who loved us. And though we are not immune to the battles and the hardships and the difficulties, that the end result is after every battle we endure through, Paul says, thanks be to God, he always finds a way to lead us to triumph. In the end, to triumph over it, to triumph through it, whatever that means, as we're in relationship with Christ, he says, that's what makes all the difference. And he just sees us like faithful soldiers following Jesus and enjoying the leadership of our general that through our lives as his soldiers and followers, as God gives us triumph, he then displays that victory to everyone else in every place, he says, verse 14, everywhere, His knowledge, like a fragrance being diffused, is displayed. God openly displays to onlookers through our lives knowledge about him. And through our lives, as we go through the battle, and Jesus leads us victoriously through the battle, the victory and the triumphs that we experience as his soldiers, as the Lord's people, he parades our lives in every place we go in front of people all around us to show them as well that there is a God who loves us, who can give us victory in life's battles and can give us victory over sin and can give us triumph over life's hardships. And through us, he diffuses, Paul says, this fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place. What an image there. Verse 14, the fragrance of of his knowledge, diffusing fragrance through our lives as his people, using a fragrant smell, right, to purposely get attention through its influence. And is it not true? Smells and aromas, that's the idea there, they get attention of people. Smells and aromas and fragrances arouse curiosity. It's people's sense of smell, especially if they encounter a good fragrance, that stimulates their curiosity, right? Well, well, what is that? What is that? And, and it stimulates curiosity. It stimulates a response or an interest. So, again, for those of you who are blessed to be married and your wife's cooking something, right? And you come up from work and you what is that? You're like a dog coming through. The door. What is that? And you're interested because you smell that incredible fragrance. And, and it stimulates interest and a desire to, to want to know. In the same way, right? Think of perfumes and colognes, you know, for how those things are utilized. I mean, think of the names of those things, seduction and poison. I mean, you've got, you got to pay attention to what they're wearing. Obsession. I remember that was a big cologne when I was in, like, junior high school. And again, well, what are you wearing that for? Why do you wear a cologne? Why do you wear that fragrance? Why do you wear the perfume, right? Arouse interest. You walk by the group of go, ooh, he smells good, ooh. And, and that's the whole purpose of a fragrance, right? Well, the Bible is saying here, this is what God does. Through the fragrance, he stimulates interest. He uses our life like the diffusing of a fragrance in such a way whereby people, in response to what's diffused through our life example, come to the place where the psalmist says what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And through your life, And your hardships and the victories and the triumphs and the thing the Lord takes you through that in Christ, as you serve Jesus through your battle and Jesus helps you triumph and conquer in the midst of the hardship and you become victorious through the battle. And on the other side of that battle, God's diffusing fragrance to other people saying, look, there is a way to triumph over things in life. It's through Jesus. He'll help you. He'll help you triumph through things. And through us, he diffuses that fragrance to get people to say, how are you handling that in the way that you're handling that? Or how did you overcome that addiction? Or how did you overcome? And and all of a sudden, people realize, oh, it's, it's through Jesus. That's how. And how amazing that God uses us in that way. Now, look what Paul says, verse 15 and 16. For we are to God, he says. The fragrance of Christ, now he identifies our fragrance. It's not, it's not poison or obsession or Chanel 5. We have the fragrance of Christ. That's our fragrance. It's what you should smell like. Among those who are perishing, or excuse me, being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And Paul says, and who is sufficient, however, for these things? So Paul pictures in verse 15 and 16 that as Christians giving off a fragrant aroma to different people that we represent something to different audiences. First, he says to God, we clearly are look at verse 15 to God. What are we? We to God are the fragrance of Christ. The indication is that is what God intends for you and I to be as followers of his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. The Bible teaches that Christ dwells in us spiritually as a Christian, that when you accept Jesus, the spirit of the Lord himself enters inside of you and the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you, which means that Jesus is trying to live out his life through our lives. Now that we're Christians, we have now become, if you would, the body of Christ on this earth. Now that he's ascended back into heaven, Paul's going to say in chapter 4 that the life of Jesus is being manifested or revealed in our body. So God's plan is to utilize your life and my life as a Christian to diffuse the fragrant aroma, listen, of what Christ is like. To use your life as a fragrance to people, a pleasing fragrance to people, of what Jesus Christ is really like to influence those around us, to draw interest among those around us. The question becomes for all of us to ask from time to time, how are we doing in that department? How well are we doing in regards to living in close relationship with Jesus, where we're yielded and submitted to his rulership over our life within, and we're letting Jesus live his life through us and use our life and our body so that he might diffuse the fragrance of himself, the fragrance of Christ to people around us to show people what Jesus are like as we're becoming more Christ-like. How well are we doing it? That's God's intention that we would be that fragrance of Christ. Now, Paul mentions in these verses as well how there are two different audiences who are smelling the fragrance of Christ and how those two different audiences have different responses to our fragrance of Christ. He mentions those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And let me just say quickly, in a digression, notice to God, there are mainly two categories of people he cares about. Unlike us as human beings, who want to categorize and get caught up in categorizing people in all these different identities, God simply concerns himself with two main identities. Those who are being saved on their way to heaven and those who are perishing, who are lost and are on their way to eternal death. That's how God views people. He simplifies it. Two main categories. That's what he's primarily concerned about. And you know, God should give us more of that same perspective more and more in our lives. Those who are being saved, those who know his son, who are in a relationship with Jesus. We've been saved from the penalty and punishment of our sin. We've been saved from the power of sin controlling our lives. But notice that the language says those who are verse 15 being saved. That is not only have we been saved from sin, its power and its punishment and hell, but we are being saved from one day things that will still be saved from. That is this sinful body of flesh one day. We are going to be fully delivered from this sinful body of flesh. We are being saved from this present world. One day we are going to be completely saved and delivered out of this world and enter into the glory of heaven. And then he mentions the other category are those who are perishing, that is still living in a sinful condition, in darkness spiritually. They don't know Jesus, and that's why their life, like a piece of fruit that gradually is just rotting and rotting and rotting, he says this is the spiritual condition of those who don't know the Lord. Their life is perpetually perishing. It's gradually being destroyed through the effects of sin. They're on a path to ruin and eternal punishment. And these are the two basic categories God sees and concerns himself with. And as he talks about us being the fragrance of Christ, he says, look, we actually smell different to these two categories of people. He says, to those who are perishing, he says, verse 16, to those who are perishing, to one, that group, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the people who don't know Jesus The fragrance of Christ from a Christian is like the aroma of death leading to death. In other words, as a Christian, your fragrance as a Christian is a constant reminder to them that all people die. That sin brings destruction and ruins people's lives. And not only that, that sin brings death between a person and a relationship with God. And not only that, That when a person dies, worse, there's eternal death. That is separation from God in hell forever. And look, it is for that reason alone, that is why your life as a Christian, sometimes being a constant reminder of that truth and eternal reality to people who don't know Jesus, that's why sometimes to a a non-Christian, someone who's still perishing, you're repulsive, Because you remind them that life without Jesus stinks. No pun intended. It stinks. It's hard now, and then it's hell eternally. And and because of that, the fragrance of Christ to an unsaved person at times can be a repulsive thing. Now, he says, in contrast to that group, To other Christians, to believers, to those who are being saved, he says, verse 16, we are the aroma of life leading to life. That is, to fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we interact with them, we're like a refreshing fragrance. It's like walking in a room where somebody just sprayed Febreze, right? Whoa, that smells good, man. And and there's a refreshing spirit that comes that when one Christian spends time with another Christian, we remind fellow believers of the aroma of life, that in Jesus, we have a living relationship with God now in our life. And that through Jesus, we have abundant life because he's blessed us and we enjoy a level of life that's so much greater than before we knew the Lord. And not only that, we're a reminder that there's eternal life, that beyond this hard and difficult world, that there is something of eternal life and glory with God in a dark and difficult world that can really stink to live in? The fragrance of a fellow Christian can really breathe fresh wind into your sails from time to time. And it just brings a renewal of life and an encouragement a whole new way. And it's like just this refreshing breeze that gives great encouragement as we diffuse this fragrance of Christ among the different categories of people that are around us. But Paul says, verse 16, but honestly, who's sufficient for these things? In other words, Paul's indicating here, this is an eternal task that God's assigned to us. And he says, I don't feel sufficient for this. None of us feel sufficient for this. Now, look, if Paul the apostle didn't feel sufficient... To share Christ, it's okay for you and I to say, I don't feel very sufficient when it comes to sharing Christ. I feel pretty inadequate, but that's not an excuse because see, it's that inadequacy that keeps us living in close relationship with Christ and keeps us dependent. And quite honestly, I can tell you this on the authority of scripture, it are those who think they are the most inadequate and feel the most inadequate that typically in their weakness get used the most powerfully. So it's okay to feel inadequate. Paul felt inadequate, and that shouldn't be something that hinders us. It should just humble us to make us honestly a more usable instrument before the Lord. Paul concludes, look at me in verse 17, he says, For we are not so many, as so many, excuse me, peddling the word of God. But in sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, interesting how Paul closes this section. He says, look, we, unlike others, don't have corrupt intentions in our ministry work. And sadly, Paul recognized that there were those guilty of such. He says, verse 17, we are not as, notice, he says, so many. Now, I have that underlined. That's, that's kind of sad. He did not say, no, we're not like some. But he says, so many? That's a real bummer. So many, he says, who are peddling the word of God. That word peddling speaks of trying to advertise or sell something to make a profit off of it. It was often a term that was used in the ancient culture to speak of those who were crooked in peddling in wares in business deals, that they were trying to deceive people and bait and hook people. They were crooked peddlers. Now, Paul's alluding to here how some use the word of God as a product to operate a business to make money off of people, which they view as clients or customers now that's a rather sad thing using the ministry as a platform to sell spiritual things spiritual services to needy clients as a way to make money seeing people as customers and running the work of the lord like a business look the last i checked i think jesus didn't care for that kind of thing too much At the beginning of Jesus's ministry in John chapter two, and at the end of Jesus's ministry in John chapter 11, Jesus went through the temple and he cleared it out and he overturned tables and he chased people out with whips because they had done this very thing. Jesus said, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Cut that out, Jesus said. Stop using the house of God, which was intended for worship, to run business operations in John chapter two. Jesus said that later in his ministry in John 11, Jesus rebuked them again. Same thing, overturning tables, chasing people out who were selling things. He says, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've made it a den of thieves. You're using it to just enrich yourself and rip people off in ways. Look, rather than having an impure motive, In dispersing the word, Paul says, we do what we do, notice he says, in sincerity, from a pure motive, as from God. In other words, Paul's saying, we weren't self-appointed, we're just doing what we're doing in obedience to God. We've been commissioned by God to share his word with people. See, false teachers will present teachings from the word of God as if people, listen, are an audience, As if people are an audience, and so therefore they want to please the audience and entertain the audience to win them over. Why? So they come back for the next show. And hopefully they'll bring more customers for the next show. That's what false teachers do. Now, Paul says, in contrast to that, as a sincere teacher of the word of God, he says, we speak, look what he says, verse 17, in the sight of God. Paul says the exact opposite. We speak as if God's observing what we're doing, not an audience. He says our audience is one. We speak in the sight of God with a pure heart as a servant of the Lord. We want God's approval. In other words, a pure hearted servant of the Lord says, God, are you pleased with what I just spoke? Lord, is that what you wanted me to say? Lord, did I convey what you were trying to say to this person in a conversation or to these people I'm trying to speak to in Christ? One translation renders this. You see, we are not like many hucksters who preach for personal profit like this is all a business. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Hey, can I encourage you in a generation where the entertainment industry has clearly crept its way into the church, To be careful. God help us. God help us to be very, very careful that the church doesn't become an entertainment-oriented business affair like everything else with just a religious style to it. And for all of us, we are to be endeavoring to live with purpose, to share Christ like a fragrant aroma. And the only way we can do that, Jesus said, is when we receive power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. That's how we do that effectively. Let's stand.